really got to try on that left hand side. What happened? <laughs> oh, but I've gone up and over, and Marty had over biscuit. It was a, uh, it was, a, it wasn't enough stability there for myself. But um, no, I was busting for a bit of meat this game. It didn't seem to work out. Hello, cheers, and welcome, welcome to the Scrum of the Earth podcast, the weekly show that brings you news, reviews, great interviews, and so much more, all about the world of rugby union. As always, I am David Lawrence. I'm an American rugby fan who follows the game wherever I can find it all over the globe. If you'd like to get in touch, I'd love to hear from you. I'm on Twitter at of Scrum. You can find me on Instagram at the Scrum of the Earth podcast, and you can always just drop me an email at the Scrum of the Earth at gmail.com. So today we have yet another lovely bonus episode. This time featuring a brand new guest, Mr. Carwin Harris from the Uneducated Rugby Podcast. Finally, we get a Welsh voice on the pod for the first time. Carwin, how are you this morning? Or for, for me, what, what is this morning? Yeah, great. Uh, thanks so much for having me. Um, I, I think we've got our good friend Craig Manson, Cupid Craig, as we've called him now, has to, to thank for this. Um, so um, he's kindly come on my podcast and obviously been on yours. So he kind of put us in touch. And yeah, I'm really looking forward to talking all things Welsh rugby. So the, the thing I wanted to sort of jump off on is, of course, the Women's Six Nation is picking up again this coming weekend, and it's been really good. And I feel like it's just achieved a higher profile than it ever has before. It, you know, frankly, people like me are watching. Uh, people I know are watching and asking about it and talking about it actively. Um, yesterday, when I got to talk to Will Owen, I, I asked him outright, um, what is better right now? Women's rugby in Wales or men's rugby in Wales? And it didn't take him two seconds to say, oh, women's. Yeah, I, I, I wouldn't argue with that at all. I think um, you look at all the negativity that's around the men's rugby, but it's completely the opposite in women's rugby. You look at the professional contracts of the autumn that mm. has then spiked um, a real upturn in form because, you know, last Six Nations was a debacle, to put it mildly, I think, for, for Wales women. And this Six Nations has been so successful already with victories over Ireland and Scotland. Um, yeah, obviously, we they struggled against England, which shows how far they still got to grow. But sure. England are a different different kettle of fish, a different beast. Um, the real test will be this weekend against France at home. If they can get if they can get a good result there, I be it, you know, I, I would suspect France are favourites. Yeah. But if they can I if they so. can if they can get a reasonable result, a respectable scoreline, and then go into that Italy game looking to come three from five, that would be a superb result for Wales. I think one thing they are going to get is a big crowd. That's been the, the case this yeah. entire time. And th th that's got to be a positive, right? Yeah. I When you were talking there about new fans just turning up to games, you know, I, I'm probably one of them, really. Just mm. have got inspired by the Six Nations. TikTok being involved, I think, is a huge plus. I think that's great. I it's really do. It's superb. It's been it's strange. Superb. It's strange seeing it on the ball. But yeah, <laughs> yeah. But I agree okay. with you there. Yeah. <laughs> I agree with you there. It's strange on the ball. But apart from that, you know, the... the the little things like the content creators giving the the awards for player of the match and little things like that are brilliant. Um, it's aspiring a new audience. But yeah, the huge crowds that you've seen, you've seen record-breaking crowds in all of the games so far, I think almost. You've seen them in the Arms Park and it's the sort of thing that you'd look at and go, well, if they're, if they're pulling in record crowds at the Arms Park, why can't we expand this? Why, why not the uh, Principality Stadium next? Why not expand it even further? So that's brilliant for the women's game and yeah, hopefully it continues into the grassroots level as well. So what is the state of the, the professionalism? Is it, 
a dozen, you know, so-called professional contracts? Is it right at, at 12 or so, or is it more than that now? And do you, do you see that changing in the future? It seems like it's got to, right? So um, as far as I'm aware, it's, it's 12 professional contracts and then 12 part-time sort of half and half contracts, okay. which I think are, are significantly, significantly less in value. Um, sure. I think... I think both are rather on the low side in value, if, we, if, if I'm being completely frank. Sure. Um, but it is I, a step I think in it's, the right it, direction. I think it's if you live at your parents' house, you can also you can do this and not have another job. Yes, yes. Uh, but it is it is one of those things where I think for certain players that would have been in certain roles, it would have been probably beneficial for them to stay in that role financially mm. but but in order to develop their rugby ability they have then switched career paths which fair play to them they want to become rugby players and that's what they've goal throughout their careers have been and it, the, the brilliant thing is we had um lisa newton former welsh international on our pod last week and she was talking to us about how she's developed the youngsters in the ospreys under 18s program and how they're now looking at it going i can be a professional rugby player Mm-hmm. And how brilliant that is for them, that they're hitting 18, 19, going to university, planning for a future career in rugby is superb for them. But that opportunity hasn't been there before. Um, and little things like there was a Wales under 18s played recently. They went three from three as well in the Edinburgh oh, wow. 18s festival, the, the women, which is brilliant for them. But now they can see that future that they can go down that route. They've, they've talked about going to Cardiff Mets to study, to study specifically for rugby, wow. to get the best rugby coaching, and then they can go on to a career. Um, the the one stumbling block at the moment is that professional teams in Wales. That's the one. It's the one area at the moment that we're lacking. Yeah, um, yeah. I, you know, I, I, without trying to bore you too much with it, but um, during the autumn there was a plan to try and get a professional team into the premier 15s okay um following discussions i had with various people i think that was a case of well you didn't want to get involved in the beginning but now you want to jump on the bandwagon a little bit oh. from, from the premier 15s which i think is fair enough in my opinion you know okay. they sort of said if you're not here for the start why are you now jumping on when we've got a good project okay. which the premiership 15 is um so that is the stumbling block at the moment because the regions, there's youth programs in the regions, as in Osprey, Scarlets, Cardiff, mm-hmm. and Dragons, but there aren't that professional teams at that international level. Yeah, I mean, it does beg the question, you know, where are they getting their game time? Where are they getting their action outside of these tiny, uh, comparatively tiny windows like Six Nations, which are, are yeah. so great, but it just doesn't take up that much time. It's, you know, it's five weekends, so. Yeah, all, all of them are pretty much in the Premiership 15s, which is brilliant for their careers. But in terms of Welsh rugby, you know, what, what about the grassroots level? It's, it's about building the game up in, in Wales as much as possible. Well, you've, you've just mentioned um, one of the fantastic guests you've gotten on your own pod, and the Uneducated Rugby Podcast. How did that start? And, uh, you know, how's that going? Is this a, a, pro- a you project? Is this a group of you project? Uh, how did that all come about? Yes, it's rather weird when it's sort of something that I was looking at for a while. I did a couple of podcasts on other sports, actually. I did a cycling one over the last summer, oh, wow. just just messing around. And then did one on the Olympics again, just mess, trying different ideas. And then um, I always wanted to get into rugby. It, so if you listen to the other two podcasts, you'll see what happens, which is I'm learning my trade a little bit <laughs> until I finally get to the rugby. Um, I'm, not saying I'm, have, I'm not saying I'm a finished product by any stretch of the imagination, but... 
Um, it was myself and Lucy Jones and a, a friend of mine, Alan Davis, that started the Rugby Podcast. It's now myself and Lucy who are primarily taking it forward. And we have various guests on to talk about rugby. We've had, you know, as I mentioned, Craig Manson and uh, um, John Anderson, Johnny McGinty. <laughs> well, a few weeks ago when I was talking to Craig, we were just talking sort of after the recording and, and he said, oh, you know, uh, is there somebody I can get you in touch with? Are you looking to find new voices and stuff? And I was like, oh, that's the whole thing I do is I, I want to get voices from all over the, the world. And he said, oh, I think I have the perfect person. Uh, there's a podcast called the Uneducated Rugby Podcast. I was like, thanks. Thanks a lot. <laughs> <laughs> but, it, but it is perfect. And it's a great pod too. I'm going to, of course, link it in my show notes as well. Oh, cheers. No, it's, it, it, it says what the name says, really. We are, as we want to claim, uneducated in rugby, but um, we're trying our best to learn as much as possible. You know, like I mentioned about the women's game, we want to learn more. We want to do as much as possible. Um, but it's a developing process for us. Uh, we're not claiming to be, you know, we're not the analysis. We're not the Sam Lardas <laughs> of Twitter. We're not anyone like that. But, um, Nobody's going to confuse me with Squidge anytime soon. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I think we're just trying to... Um, offer our opinions on a game which is largely shaped by whether it be commentators our own experience or things like that um, you know we've done various little things like we did a, a rug, rugby refereeing course in the autumn Lucy and I and uh, oh, wow. to, to try and to try and learn more about the game and it was fascinating um, they, they were very keen to get Lucy on board obviously as a, as, as, as a woman to try and get more female refs involved in Welsh rugby especially so it was really fascinating to, to be part of that. Wow. Do you have anything um, you know, coming up that you want to tell us about ahead of time? Any new guests coming or is it kind of waiting to see what comes? Um, no new guests, but I haven't actually released the Lisa Newton <laughs> oh, okay. I, was, I was talking to you before. I haven't actually released that as yet. So I'm hopefully releasing that today, which is Thursday the 21st. Um, so hopefully we'll release that this evening. Um, I'm planning to put it out on YouTube and on all audio platforms. The, the YouTube is the slow process of trying to work at that out myself. <laughs> <laughs> well, obviously you're a Welsh rugby fan. Um, are, are you in Cardiff? Are you somewhere else? Um, like, is there a particular club you support or uh, are you just kind of taking a step back and saying, you know, if any of you guys do well, that's fine by me. Yeah, I'm, I'm Cardiff based, but no, 100% not a Cardiff fan. Um, really? No, I'm, I'm, a, I'm an Ospreys fan. Uh, originally, uh, again, not to bore you with too many details, I was, an, I was a Bregen fan because my, my earliest rugby memory is an ex-player called David James. I don't know if you would have remembered in the early 2000s, played for Wales and the British Irish Lions, scored a try, I think, in the first test in Australia in 2001. And he used to play for Bregen. A good friend of mine, as a as a kid, coached the Bregen team, so I supported oh, wow. them. But then Bregen joined Celtic Warriors when when clubs became um, when the regional system set up in two thousand and three. So Bregen and Pontypridd became the Celtic Warriors. Cardiff became Cardiff Blues. Llanelli uh, became Llanelli Scarlets. Uh, Newport and Pontypool uh, and and Ebervale became the Dragons, and then. Newport and Swansea joined together to become the Ospreys, and that was that was the, that was the start of regional rugby. It's funny because, well, you know, rugby is so big in Wales and sees, feels so important and ancient. It's just weird to even think about. Oh well, they, they actually these regional systems didn't exist until two thousand and three. That seems a lot mm. closer than somehow I imagined in my head. No, yeah, it, it was it was odd, obviously, and it it was made furthermore bizarre by the fact that after almost a year 
Celtic Warriors were disbanded, despite being one of the more successful teams, they were disbanded. Really? Yeah, so that's what ended up happening was Bregend became amalgamated into the Ospreys and then Pontypridd developed into the into Cardiff. So I'm, I'm therefore a de facto Ospreys fan, which sort of sort of benefited me, I suppose, with their success in the early 2000s. Well, it's it's funny because I, I was talking to Will Owen last night and I, I was asking him, <clears throat> what is the deal with the blues thing? Like it was, Oh, we're the blues. No, we're not the blues. And then there seems to be all this anger about we're definitely not the blues. And some people say, well, what do you mean? Like, and I was like, what is the blues in the first place? Is it a political thing? Why blues? And his answer was, I don't know. I don't really know. (laughs) I, I can only assume that they went down the route of the um, looking at the New Zealand model and you see the New Zealand model, you've got the Highlanders, Chiefs, etc. Blues. And they wanted to copy that with the titles, the Dragons, Scarlets, Blues and Ospreys, you know, these t- titles as opposed to teams, oh. uh, team names. And then what they've realised is it wasn't really working financially and they wanted a different financial model, I think. I don't know whether the Blues have been confused with the Blues down under. I don't know if that was happening, but maybe that is part of it. And going back to the Cardiff rugby standpoint, because Cardiff rugby had such a good name back in the 70s and 80s, maybe that's more of the the thinking behind that as well. Oh, okay. Well, uh, apart from all the good things happening in the women's game, um, I had at least one positive piece of Welsh news that I also talked about with Will yesterday, but Sam Davis got his thousandth point in the URC. That's quite a feat. I, I love him as a player. And uh, it, it seems weird to me that he never seems to be sniffing around the Wales camp. Um, do you have a take on him? And um, oh, it's, it's a difficult one with Sam. Um, obviously, he came through the Ospreys setup. Right. And if you go back oh, probably less than 10 years now, well, yeah, 10, 10 years, I think it would be. He was in the Junior World Cup and was was one young player of the year, under 20 oh, wow. player of the year. He was that brilliant. He was a superb youngster, looked, had all the had all the possibilities in the world. Um, and then came through into the Osprey setup, was knocking down bigger out of the 10 jersey occasionally, yeah. was starting ahead of him for Ospreys. Then it went a bit strange for him, needed mm. to change, to so change the scenery, move to the dragons. But the difficulty was he was never he was never Gatlin's type of player. Okay, I think if, if we're being if if we're being honest, um, I think you look at his skill set was ball handling, his ability with his ball in hand was much better than probably bigger back then. But his tackling and the, those key components that sort of Gatland love in that yeah, yeah. bigger were probably his weaker spots. And it, then it, is he undersized? Is he not you know test um, test size? I don't know if it's as simple as that. I think there's a lot of talk in the Welsh game, especially about this theory that, um, for instance, Nick Tompkins, he came he, uh, last season, he was at the Dragons on loan. And there's a lot of talk of, right, we need to bulk him up, bulk him up. And his play and quality of play deteriorated as a result of him bulking up. Right, you right. See, the, see the player he is this season, having gone back to Saracens and lost a bit of that weight and become a bit more lithe and a bit more of a, live wire i suppose um with sam i think it's just a clash of styles i I really think it's as simple as that i think if if he'd have been more of gatlin's man he would have nailed that jersey down possibly i that that's no disrespect to to bigger because i think bigger is a phenomenal player but he just wasn't gatlin's type of player and then maybe to some extent the ship 
had begun to sail. Mm. And then when Pivac came in, I, I thought, to be honest, I thought that Jared Evans would have more of a look in. I thought Sam Davis might have a look in. I thought also Reese Patchell would have a look in, but oh, Patchell's, yeah. been, Patchell's been injured <clears throat> because we are supposedly playing this more free-flowing brand of rugby, and I use air quotes there. <laughs> um, but I think I think maybe for Pivac, he hasn't seen enough. And if you if you listen. If you listen to what's coming out of the Dragons camp, there hasn't been a lot of conversations between Pivac and Sam Davis. Mm. And that was a huge criticism from the Dragons was that players like Sam Davis and Jonah Holmes weren't getting the communications they wanted from Pivac. Um, and they have been somewhat critical of that. And I wouldn't be surprised to see Sam move on. There was talk about it recently of him moving on to, to Bath. I think it was last season there was talk of him moving really? to Bath. And that didn't come about, but uh, this season, obviously, he's pretty much the only 10 at, at Dragons with Josh yeah. Lewis playing at fullback. And then for next season, looking forward, I think with JJ Hanrahan coming in, he's going to have a bit of competition. And then it'll be interesting to see what Sam does from then on, because if he's not getting the whale setup, he might as well go right. looking for a payday, to be perfectly frank. For sure. It's, it, I, it's weird. It almost seems like he showed up to training one day and accidentally drove over a Pivac's dog or something. <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's a few players that I, I think I'm wondering if that's happened. Um, uh, you know, I think particularly in our pod, we've been a little bit um, critical of Pivac at times. Um, justifiably so, I think, sometimes. <laughs> um, but there's, there's certain players that are being overlooked, be it based on um, where they play. Because uh, Pivac was quoted as saying that certain players are not showing the skill sets required to play in his style because of the style of rugby they play in those clubs. Interesting. Um, I, I don't know whether that's a factor. It's interesting, perhaps, that there isn't a single back from the Dragons playing for Wales, really, at the moment. It seems telling. It seems kind of obvious. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know if that's, a, if that's telling for their back play or their back play coach or if that's telling for... Um, their form, frankly, up until up until last weekend, obviously, but um, we'll, I'm sure we'll touch on that in a bit, whether or not that was them or whether or not it was certain decisions. Um, <laughs> well, this this is brilliant because you're representing the uneducated rugby podcast, and I'm coming to you as a very uneducated rugby fan. So <laughs> it's your chance to educate me and the, the listeners, of course. What is the Pivac style? What is Wales trying to do right now? Because last Six Nations, I I couldn't put my finger on it. it 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 looked like oh we have the ball now uh oh we turned it over <laughs> yeah i honestly um i'd be really interested to hear what will owen's got to say because he's probably <laughs> probably a lot better at, at analyzing and giving opinions than i am um but at the same time i think he good luck to him giving those opinions because i i couldn't tell you i uh, there's certain things in the game plan which are baffling i think i think i was i was I was actually thinking about this earlier. Is if you look at the Six Nations that's just been, mm. and if you take the Italy game aside, all the other results were somewhat expected. You know, you lose at home to okay. the Grand Slam champions against France. Fair enough. You can understand that. You lose away at England. Again, understand it. Lose heavily out in Ireland with a side that was somewhat patched up. You had a lot of injuries, plus you had a lot of players coming back from having barely played any rugby due to COVID, et cetera, et cetera. Ireland were on fire that day too. Nobody was Yeah, exactly. It completely made sense. And then 
I know a lot of people expected Scotland to win in Wales. I think um, myself, you know, I actually went on um, the Scottish Rugby podcast that week and said, I think Wales will win. And they said, why? And I said, blind faith. <laughs> and and that, that, that was pretty much what we had to go with, was the principality factor. And you look at those results and you possibly go, yeah, I can understand where they are. The issue is, is the performances in them. Mm. And the performance out in Ireland was diabolical, but again, was somewhat expected. The performance against England was mildly better. I think we were unlucky in that game with a refereeing decision or two that could have gone maybe a different way. Although, you know, looking at the year before, maybe we'd maybe we'd cashed all our chips to some extent. <laughs> um, but then, yeah, I think the France performance was. Although we got close and we showed staying, it was a Gatlin performance. And that's the issue is you see the good performances that Wales have had. For instance, South Africa in the autumn was a decent performance staying in that game for as long as we did. The France performance, they are Gatlin performances without the end product of a win. Interesting. And as, as well with Scotland, it was a Gatlin performance. It was this sort of staying in the fight, battling until the end and this never say die attitude as opposed to what a lot of fans were hoping for when Pivac came in of a freer flowing rugby based on what he'd done at the Scarlets. And also, let's be frank, based on what Welsh fans want to expect from mm. the Wales team, going back, you know, harking back to the 70s and all that jazz. But it's it's what Wales's identity is supposedly founded on is freer flowing rugby. And yeah, we sort of allowed it to um be this less free-flowing rugby during the Gatland era because of the fact that it was successful, but now we wanted a new brand and we wanted that free-flowing rugby to come in. In a way, this seems like the most telling indictment of Pivac is like, when we get a good performance out of Wales, it's a Gatland performance. Uh, so th there hasn't been a new, a new version of that. There it, hasn't been a, a, a uh, there's the Pivac style and, and it's here and it's working. It, it seems to me that that is, that is somewhat the attitude. The, the, the big difference is obviously little things. You, you talk about systems and places, but is to, to simplify it as much as possible is you see a lot of the forwards out on the our wider channels now under PVAC, mm. which obviously has benefits, has detractions. The, the aim is that if we do spread the ball out wide, we have players to clear out and we have players to, to make those rucks and make those collisions in order to retain the possession mm. however the issue seems to be now that we don't have enough of those players in the midfield so we're losing <laughs> possession in the midfield and you you look at you look at certain can, things can we, just, can we just play with 20 guys come on yeah exactly and, and and you look at for instance the Italy game one of the most frustrating parts for me is the try that Owen Watkins scores which is a lovely pop pass from Talupe Falatau mm who's playing in the midfield. That's, Fartau's got brilliant hands, got brilliant yeah. lights of running. That's where he's at his best, is in the midfield, using footwork, using hands. I don't think he's at his best in the wide channels. He can do it, but get his, you need to get his hands on the ball as much as possible. He's wasted running around in the five-metre channel when we're retaining the ball every, I don't know, two out of three rucks. Mm. So, um, for me, I, I personally... I'm not. I'm not a fan. I'm, I'm going to be completely honest. I, I don't. I, I'm not going to pull any punches. I think a lot of people got a bit carried away with the success Pivac had at Scarlet. Mm. Um, not to say he wasn't successful, but the the outlook was somewhat. Oh, what an amazing job he's doing with a bunch of players that shouldn't be achieving what they're achieving. I would 
I would counter that and say that side was basically the Wales side at the time. Mm. And you had so many players playing at the peak of their powers, be it John Fox Davis then went on to be Lions player of the season, be it Gareth Davis in the form of his life. You know, the strength and depth you had with the likes of um, Rob Evans playing in the form of his life with Wynne Jones on the bench, who was to be a future Lions starter. You know, those little things that maybe, um, yeah, he brought a lot of those players through, but the success of that team was down to not only not only the players, in fairness, Pivak and Stephen Jones had their part, but they played really well because they were good players. And I think at the moment, probably the quality of the players isn't as high. Mm. But I definitely think the coaching isn't as high as it was under the Gatman era. I mean, do you think he's hamstrung by injuries or is it is it him? Um, I, I, I don't think I can simply say it's him. I, I want to because I, I'm not, <laughs> I, I, I think I think for me, I, 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 I'm being a bit perhaps harsh there, facetious perhaps is the word I should use, but he's being he's been unlucky in a lot of the injuries this season, be it Alan and Jones, be it the likes of the back row, and that back row is world-class when it's on its day, you know, mm-hmm. Tiprick, uh, Navidi, Fata, that is a world-class back row. I wish Josh Navidi could stay on the field, he's so yeah. good. He's incredible and was absolutely brilliant for Cardiff on the weekend against Saracens again, but oh, that's right. he's, he's one of these players that can be instrumental and him him coming back was crucial and you saw his impact personally I did I did I wouldn't have played him actually I thought that well, it was too soon I thought I, I I'm not a big fan of rushing players back close injury but that, saw, that made me very worried yeah but you saw the quality of performances that him and Falata put in post injury and that showed just that they are these world-class operators that yeah. can have six seven months out and come back as if they've yeah know, yeah been playing week in week out but I think on top of that the big loss has been uh George North at 13 mm. um if uh I'm I, I like Owen Watkin a lot especially as an Ospreys fan but he has his limitations okay and his his limitations are in attack he's a very good defensive operator but in attack um he's someone who perhaps doesn't have that game-breaking world-class ability of a George North um not many players do in fairness but I think Pivak will point towards George North and say that is a player that when when he's back we can be on song. Okay. Um, but on top of that, I think some of the performances haven't been good enough, you know. Uh, and some of the, for me, some of the comments in the press are terrible. And I don't I don't know how many of these have been seen on your side oh, of the pond. But... Zero. This is one of the things I was talking to the the uh, to Craig and John about. I was bemoaning the fact that you know they can watch a rugby match on a night and the next day there's six articles about it and they can turn on the yeah. radio or turn on the TV and hear about it. No, no, no. I have to go seek it and, you know, purchase the, the service. There will be no pre-show. There'll be no post-show. And, yeah. and then it's a deafening silence. There's no such thing as coverage here at all. Yeah. <laughs> it's incredibly it frustrating. Be, it must be quite difficult because... Well, they're always saying things like, well, as we're hearing in the press, and I'm like, what? You're, you're hearing <laughs> stuff? There's press? <laughs> Yeah, well, there's there's a lot in Wales. It's a goldfish bowl. Um, Welsh rugby <laughs> Twitter is a is a sight to behold for anyone. Um, but the 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 real one that got people incensed was after the loss against Italy, which was Wales' first ever loss at home yeah, to Italy ever. Um, yeah, he came out and said that well, if Wales reach a quarter final or semi final of a World Cup, it doesn't matter. And a lot of people responded and went, 
Well, no, it does still matter. <laughs> for for one, we we've now lost against Italy at home before, and for two, Listen, do, you know, do you think you're coaching Ireland right now? Yeah, uh, well, that's the second thing is you look at Wales's success in the last three World Cups is semi-final, quarter-final, semi-final. So by natural progression, you should be thinking, well, we've reached two semi-finals in the last yeah, 10 years. Yeah. We're aiming to a final. And if you look at Wales's route, you know, four years ago, we had essentially the same group, which is frustrating beyond belief. But um, to have Australia and Fiji there again, we, we, we topped the group last time. Why can't we top it this time? And then you look at our route in the quarterfinal, we probably get a side that we may be fortunate to play against, be it an Argentina or, a, or I think it might be a Japan mm. in a quarterfinal. Well, that's as far as routes go to a semi final, there aren't many sure, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> smoother routes on paper. Granted, it is on paper and all things change when a World Cup comes up long ask any island fan. But um, oh. it's, <laughs> yeah, sorry, that was a bit uncalled for. But, <laughs> but, um, I, th- I think I think a lot of fans found it very frustrating that this is his comment straight after, and there were a number of other fans wondering if you'd have the old. Um, I don't know if you ever saw this, but Gareth Jenkins back in 07 was sacked in a car park, and a lot of fans were saying maybe we should be checking oh. the local car park to see if he's been. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, there was the documentary that came out recently. Uh, yeah, I did watch that. That that was such Band. a. It was such a bizarre thing. It was like it was like the mafia is running it or something. Oh uh, yeah, utterly, utterly bizarre. You know, I, and I've I've met Gareth Jenkins a few times. He's one of the nicest blokes you'll ever meet. But um, yeah, so it was a horrible thing for him. But those are the sort of failures that cost you your job. Is failing at a World Cup, and for me personally, I think a failure. And losing at home to Italy, granted a very good Italy side who performed extraordinarily well on they the did. day, and I don't, I don't want to take anything away from them. But if you lose at home to Italy, I think that is a sackable offence. Oh, I'd love your take on this too, because I, uh, for some reason, I mean, again, there's no coverage, so I don't really know. But <laughs> I, I haven't really heard anyone talk about towards the end of that match when Wales ultimately lost to Italy. There was that decision really late when they could have taken three points to just pad the lead a little bit. And instead, they went to the corner and it came away with nothing. That mm. made the difference in the score. Like yeah. that on-field decision might have been as responsible for the for that loss as as anything else. But it seems like nobody that I know of was was talking about that. Did you feel like that was a massive blunder, or was that is it you know too specific a thing? Um, it, 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 it's it's one of those, isn't it? Because it at the end of the day, it's a proof in the pudding situation. Mm. And you look back to England in 2015, kicking to the corner and against Wales in the World Cup. And if they kick to the corner and win that and win that game, no one talks about it. But the fact they kick to the corner, that Wales win the ball back and then England lose the game is the only thing anyone talks about. Right. I, I think in this situation, Wales had all the momentum. Wales looked on top at that staging. Italy looked like they were massively tiring. It, would have, on- made, it would have been two scores instead of one, though. Yeah. But exactly. And I think there's somewhat of an element of a bonus point. Yeah. I, I think that was playing a part. You listen to Bigger's post match press. You listen to Bigger's post match press. Uh, I think it was post match interview rather than press conference. And his actual words were I think there was a case of, sorry, I'm paraphrasing, I should say rather than actual words, but um, he said something along the lines of um, we were maybe looking to be as high up in the table as possible. Mm. So that suggests to me that they were looking for the bonus point from minute one, as opposed to interesting the old-fashioned 
Gatland-esque tactic, which was, right, win the game. If at 70 minutes we are 10 points up, then we can start looking at bonus points. Mm. But first and foremost, win the game. And I think Wales, oh, it was definite complacency. There's no two ways about it. It has to, it has to be la- labelled at this group of players because that group of players that were on the field for that day were good enough to win that game. And you look at the team selection with Bigger getting his 100th cap and yeah. Alan Jones getting his 150th cap. Alan Jones having not played in ever so many months. I don't think there's two ways about it to say that there's an element of, um, oh, we're going to beat Italy. Let's have this as a fun occasion for Alan Jones. It did feel like a bit of a pre-celebration. Yes, yes. And, you know, um, we talked in our pod that it was somewhat of an Alan Jones curse because yeah. uh, I think Alan Jones lost his first cap, his 50th, something like his 100th, yeah. his record-breaking cap. And I thought, oh, no, no, this is not good. Leave this him is on not the bench! Good. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. So I don't know. Um, I'm not going to play Jones, but that's got to be playing in his head too right now. Because I mean, so many people have mentioned that too, and he must be like, uh, "Should I go back out there?" <laughs> <laughs> I think I, you know, it's an interesting one with Alan. Like, there's there's going to be a lot of talk over the next twelve months. Is he going to make the World Cup? Is mm. he going to be captain? Um, it'll be interesting. Um, I think I, I, Will's take was he needs to be in the squad. He doesn't need to be captain. I'd agree with that. I'd feel similarly about Bigger. Mm. I I love Bigger, but I I I'm still baffled how Bigger is Peabacks fly half. I would sort of touched on it earlier there, but I don't understand how when you want to play a freer flowing brand of rugby, apparently by by all. By all by all reports, I, I'm yet to see it bar against France last year away. Um, so should, who should be wearing that ten then? I I don't think that's a simple answer either. I don't mm. think there's a clear and obvious option because all the all the tens have their limitations. Mm. You know, be it Sheedy and his tackling ability, and perhaps his length of kicks to touch, be it Patchell and his tackling ability plus injury record recently. I think he would have been probably pole position due to the fact that he played for Pivac at Scarlets but his injury record recently has been so terrible and um, hopefully he can get back to full fitness and be a part of that World Cup because he was such a key part last time um, you mentioned Sam Davis well he's clearly nowhere near reckoning because he's not been he's even, not even on the radar no he's nowhere near the squad uh, Jared Evans I don't know how he hasn't had more of a look in. I think he has been unfortunate with injuries, but for me, he would be the obvious option as terms of free-flowing rugby. He seems the obvious option. You look at the way he plays at 10 for, for Cardiff and the fact that he would have that combination with Thomas Williams, who seems to be the nine now. Mm. Um, you've then got other guys coming in, the likes of, let's talk about Sam Costello, who had a good couple of weekends against... Um, Cardiff played really well and all of a sudden certain certain Welsh media outlet was labeling him the next Dan Bigger but you really? couldn't yeah but you couldn't find him further from Dan Bigger because he is another free-flowing rugby player who wants to keep the ball in hand length of kicks to touch again isn't too far um probably goal kicking is something that needs to work on as well but there are lots of options as always there is in Wales but there isn't that standout option behind Bigger and that's why Bigger seems to be the option it seems to be the guy that Wales have as opposed to the guy Wales want at the moment. 
Well, I was going to say, is that the actual answer for Wales? Is it that we don't know the name of the, the people who are going to fill these key roles? Is it that there's, it has to be somebody younger who just hasn't shown it yet, but is going to? Because um, it does seem like it's always the same nail, names in Wales. It seems like every year yeah. we're sort of recycling the same guys and saying, well, he's a little older, but and uh, it, it's hard to see the new blood coming through. Like when you look at France and how young their Six Nations team was this year, like uh, Wales seems like on the opposite end of that. Is, is the answer the future? Is the answer we don't know yet? I, I think that's that's a large part of it. And that's what a lot of people are worried about is they're looking at, a, a lot of people are getting fixated with the fullback position, for instance, saying, you know, who's the next big, who's the next big fullback going to be, you know, after mm. Lee Half, Benny and Liam Williams. I don't think it's as simple as that. I think there's a lot of positions where Wales are looking at thinking, oh, I don't know who the next guy is. But it's about giving these players opportunities. For instance, second rows. Um, this time last year, if you'd have asked me what we're going to do at second rows, I'd have been so worried because Will Rowlands at that stage, it it wasn't working at international level for him. Mm. He was he was a great player for Wasps and had started his career really well at Dragons um, in the autumn as well, but it just wasn't really clicking. Um, Adam Beard, obviously, brilliant Lions tour, looked the part, but Alan Wynne Jones was injury prone and getting older. And then Corey Hill and Jake Ball going off to uh, Japan, both respectively. So there was a bit of a worry of who are the next cabs off the rank. But then Will Rowlands comes into the Six Nations, plays all the games, or, well, should have started all the games perhaps, uh, but it didn't start the Italy one and was Wales' best player in the Six Nations, mm. bar perhaps Falatau. But the fact that you give these guys an opportunity and some of them can take it in both hands. You look at Tane Basham, taken up his opportunity in the first game was superb then gets taken out of the side maybe maybe he, different he's, form. he's great it's, it's also beautiful to have sort of an onomatopoeic guy like that if like if, you, if you're yeah, putting yeah, together yeah. a rugby team you want the guy named Basham. yeah yeah and yeah, as a good friend of mine always says that's what he does he does <laughs> plays. He, he does he is one of those um all right my name is johnny crashball yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> isn't that wasn't that Jamie Roberts's actual name? Wasn't that his legal name? <laughs> um, no, but it's it's it is something about that, isn't it? That these these players have that actual, you know, if he if he does do as his name suggests and it has that ability to just crash onto things and bash into people, that's what he does, and he's he is brilliant at it. Um, I. You know, I, I personally would go a different way at seven, but that's just my take. Um, I, I, I don't think people need to look further than my podcast to see that I'm pretty much a Jack Morgan Stan account by now. Yeah. Um, but, um, I think I think certain things about players like that, about Basham, about um, Will Rowlands, I mentioned, they are stepping up to the plate and taking their opportunities. Nick Pompkins at 12 taking his opportunity. I think there are some of these players, they're just not given the opportunities that was required, but also at the same time, you do see a massive, massive impact of the likes of Falatau coming back in because they are world-class operators mm -hmm. who have been there for so long. I don't, I think certain positions say eight, uh, hooker still, unfortunately, um, 10, as we've just talked about, 13. Those are the positions that I would say well, and 15 at the moment, those are the positions that I'd say there are very few options outside the number one option. Mm. Um, and that's the problem at the moment. And that, but that, I would say that has been testament for Wales for 10, 12 years. Is you look at 
back back in Adam Jones's day, if he was injured at tight end, it was all hands to the pump and pray to the gods, pretty much, is, is the attitude of Wales. And same with John Fox Davis at 13. So going from winning the Six Nations one year to losing to Italy the next, is, is Pivek's job gone like what are people saying in wales so they are they calling for his head i'm, I'm guessing there's a, a loud contingent of people who are saying let's get rid of him but i also wonder um one of the things i asked will owens about is uh like it does seem like wales has a tendency to say we don't want this guy anymore let's get rid of him oh wait who's next and it, it, there isn't necessarily a contingency plan for who's coming into that seat after the fact it's just get rid of him and then see what happens and that hasn't necessarily been working so I'll, I'll tackle it in a couple of parts because there's several different layers to this one. Um, first of all, the PVAC out question, um, I don't think you'll find someone more vociferous on it than me. <laughs> I think I struggle. I, I personally have been saying it for almost two years. Oh, okay. Um, Since you got the job? Pretty much. I, I, it's, it's, there's, there's a lot of things he said in the media that I haven't been a fan of. I haven't agreed with his opinion on a lot of things, which, you know, that's personal taste. And, you know, last season, Six Nations was successful. Um, there are a numerous factors about that, be it you want to talk red cards against Ireland. I think we were, I think the red card against Ireland particularly, we were fortunate. A couple of refereeing decisions against England, despite a decent performance, I think we were fortunate. The performances we've seen against 14 men have been diabolical, frankly. And mm. that's when you'd expect this side to be successful is when there's more open space to be able to throw the ball around. But that seems to be lacking. Um, so I personally, I don't think I'm surprised at all to see this decline in form. Um, I think last year was an outlier as opposed to the, the trend. Um, despite having a good crop of players, I did think it was a good crop of players last year. I just think it was a bit of an outlier. I think this year was more where we are, bar the Italy performance. I think two from two from five is more where Wales are currently. Um, then you look at uh, the second part of that question is, I will probably touching on people then saying, well, you shouldn't sack a coach 18 months out from a World Cup. Mm. Um, I think the really good rugby statistician that perhaps you've seen on Twitter, Russ Petty put something out that three of the last eight coaches that have reached World Cup finals were appointed about a year before the World Cup. Really? Yeah. Wow. So, so to, to then say that you can't be successful with a coach that's only been there a year is a bit, for me, perhaps not true. You know, you look, Razi Erasmus was pretty much 12 years before, uh, 12, 12 years, 12 months before, <laughs> I should say. Um, 12 years would be, yeah. yeah. That makes <laughs> completely, a lot of sense. Con completely contradicting my point. But um, <laughs> yeah, 12 months before. So things like that, you, I, I disagree with the outlook of you can't sack your, your coach 12 months before. And then finally on that, you touched on it of, who who's next well that is that is the honest question which I couldn't answer and we sort of we try to look at it on our podcast and um you look at the four Welsh regions at the moment or well, Dean Ryan is honestly if if he sees out the season that will be a miracle because there's so much infighting in the Dragons at the moment and there's a lot of people very keen to see him go uh Dwayne Peel it hasn't really clicked yet for Scarlets completely. Mm. There's been there's been moments, but not quite clicked for him at Scarlets. So he's 
he's not ready for the step up. Um, Toby Booth, well, he's done a job at solidifying the Ospreys, but I think the Ospreys have three bonus points this season and only one um, try bonus point in the last three seasons. So if you're pointing him, you're not looking for exciting rugby. And <laughs> well, I, I'm an Ospreys fan. I feel like <laughs> I don't want him to be Wales coach. I, I I appreciate the job he's done at the Ospreys, but I don't particularly want to see him get the step up. And the only one that you could possibly point to is Dai Young. Mm. Just historically, from the standpoint of he has been successful with Cardiff in the past, but you're still on about 10 years ago when he yeah, was successful yeah. at Cardiff before he went to Wasps, where some people may argue that with the squad he had at Wasps, he should have been more successful than he was. I think he reached a few finals, but didn't quite get over the line. So They've been a very strange club for the last few years. Yeah. Um, and then you're looking further afield. Well, Pat Lamb has been rumoured about the Wales job historically having said that he would wouldn't mind be part of the Wales job but I think he's got a contract until something like 2028 with, oh, wow. <laughs> with Bristol well WRU is claiming to be short on money if they're actually short on money I don't know if they can buy him out of that right there's no other really obvious options in England we did mention Declan Kidney at London Irish just because he's obviously mm. successful with Ireland in the past but that would be a rather surprising move for him yeah um, and the only other ob- obvious option that has been you know a lot of Wales fans are desperate to see. I think there was a poll that had him as numero uno option with Scott Robertson at Crusaders. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, I think a lot of people will say, and uh, maybe quite rightly, that that's a pipe dream. Yeah. And the, the John Gruden of rugby. Yeah, and, and if, if I'm honest, Scott Robertson, if, if I was Scott Robertson and I was 12 months out from a World Cup where New Zealand are going into it, hopeful rather than an expectant of a result mm. under a coach that's under a lot of pressure being yeah. probably candidate number one to take over should he be given the sack i'm not moving yeah he's got a pretty good thing going there with exactly. right now. so so i yeah the, the the simple answer to your question is who is the number one i couldn't tell you who comes in and that's the biggest problem if there was a name that i could throw at you i would be saying pivac at now but there just isn't one. Well, it's apart from the the national team, it has been a tough year for all four Welsh regional teams in the URC. So as we're speaking today, Scarlets, they're the only team to have played all 15 of their matches. The Ospreys having played 14, Cardiff and Dragons are still on 13. Um, I do see Benetton has also played only 14 and Zebra just 13. Um, I, I've been looking, there are makeup dates for some of these. Um, is the math going to work out or are all these games going to get played? Uh, fingers crossed. Your, your guess is as good as mine at the moment. I think um, it's it, yeah. It's it's been a bit of a debacle of a season, especially for the Welsh regions. You talk about the the South Africa trip, and I I sent you a message and I said I may use the word shafted a lot, and this is where it's coming in. Um, I I you know I it, it was a terrible situation and it was awkward, but I know that a lot of the teams felt that they were shafted by being. Sort of yeah. thrown out there to South Africa it and was, then Omicron it, hit. It, it was so badly handled, though. That it, you know, you, you can't do anything about the actual circumstances, but the way uh it was just so poorly handled. It was poorly handled, and I think it was poorly handled by the WIU, especially. Um, you look at how yeah. those teams actually get back, and it's actually on the back of the IIU, the the the, uh, the, right. the Irish, the, the Irish contingent and Munster that arranged the travel back. Yep. 
It's and meanwhile, the, the Italian teams were back home, you know, exactly. sipping an espresso. Yeah, and there was a lot of <laughs> there's a lot of criticism for South African teams at the time, and I don't think that was fair either. You know, no. it's not their fault that Omicron spikes in South Africa. It just happened to be their country. You know, there, there was that, a lot of anger over that for the, those fans too. They felt like they were vilified over that and something that they couldn't control, and you know, wasn't obviously exactly. their fault. Yeah, it wasn't their fault. But you look at how that happened for those teams and Scarlets then and and Cardiff. They then went into Europe and had the, the travails there where um, there were some interesting decisions, let's say, made at European rugby level, being saying that uh, these games couldn't be postponed. And yeah. then, and then the next week there is a postponement and yeah. Then cancelling those games, it was it was rather interesting. You know, Scarlets had to cancel their game and forfeit because they didn't have enough viable players. Cardiff decided to play their games. The really interesting thing about Cardiff, I don't know if you realise this, but um, they they didn't qualify for the final eight of the Champions Cup through points difference, or final 16, sorry, of the Champions Cup through points difference. Uh, had they taken a 28-0 loss in both games, they would have qualified. Oh, <laughs> no way. I never so, knew that. Yeah, utterly bizarre, um, <laughs> which is, you know, makes it some, you know, makes it utterly uh, laughable. And then you, you look at things wow. like Mont- Montpellier now are in the quarterfinals, having won two games, you know, that, that yeah, wow. I know. COVID, I know COVID is a an issue that is utterly terrible, and it's impossible to predict, and all these sort of things. But for the Welsh reasons, especially, it became a case of, well, what's the point to some extent? Wow. Ospreys as well. They 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 postponed a game. They were set to play Racing that weekend, where all the French games were right. eventually cancelled, and they said, "Oh, actually, we've got COVID in camp." So three hours before the French games were cancelled, that that game was yeah, forfeited yeah. by Osprey. So Osprey took a 28-0 loss as opposed to a draw. So these these little things that a lot of teams in Wales were a bit frustrated with, and in my opinion, quite rightly so. Um, I, I don't know if they were unfortunate, avoidable, or could have been handled differently. I personally feel handled differently would have been an interesting approach. Yeah, yeah. It's funny. I hadn't even thought about those things. And I, I'm realizing now I basically had just sort of thrown that part of the season away. Just like, yeah. Okay. okay at the time, I know this is an absolute CF and like it, it's horrible and the Welsh teams are getting shafted, but we'll get past it. And then I was able to sort of mentally be like, okay, we're past it. No, no, those, those things, the ramifications are much bigger than I thought. The, uh, you know, you should have taken the forfeit thing is something I hadn't even heard yeah. of or thought about. That's incredible. It, it, it was it was bizarre and you know I, I'm not claiming by any stretch of the imagination I think Cardiff would have ended up being 16th and then had to travel to Leinster, Leinster and back um, I'm not claiming they'd have got a result there although you know they did beat them at home this season so it may have led to a good performance they did have a good performance against Saracens obviously the weekend in the um, um, Challenge Cup name escaped me there but little things like that are a bit frustrating as terms of the URC we predicted at the start of the season that one, maybe two Welsh sides would be in the top eight, and those sides being Scarlets and Ospreys. Mm. Uh, Ospreys predominantly as one of those sides in the top eight, and then hopefully Scarlets. The fact of the matter is that, as I mentioned to you just previously, Ospreys have won seven games, which is the same amount as Scarlets, but are eight points behind them. Yeah, it's significant. Due to bonus points. And that is, you know, it's purely down to try bonus points and... I think they've had one try bonus this season. That was away at Benetton. They they didn't manage bonus point at home to Zebra. And I, I, with 
all due respect, and there is very little respect in this, I must be honest, but <laughs> if you can't get a bonus point at home to Zebra, then you're not going to get a bonus point against anyone. Yeah, that's not a good sign. Um, um, as we said, you know, Dragons, they still have two matches to make up, and I finally was able to piece it together. It looks like they're sandwiching those matches in between rounds 17 and 18. Yeah. Um, one will be against Ospreys, one, one against Cardiff, and the second of those is going to be on a Friday the 13th. What could possibly go wrong? <laughs> well, that, that may be an upsetting for Dragon's Fortunes, to be honest. If it, <laughs> you know, before before the weekend just gone, they, they only had one win in the season, and that was a phenomenal performance out in Connacht. But oh, yeah, since yeah. then, they've been utterly terrible until um, their, their form their form in the last couple of weeks has been atrocious and then they got the win um away at scarlet's on the weekend which was um do, do you want to touch touch on this at all oh well oh, sorry it, my audio my audio oh uh your your video uh, sorry my... froze just a little bit there but it sounded okay so i think everything's fine i'm sorry um sorry about that um Not at all. But did, uh what was i saying um yeah yeah, Cardiff went out and scored, was it 34 points against Saracens? But it was just not enough there at the, at the Stone X. <laughs> yeah, they, they kind of had a good performance. They they played really well. They scored a number of good tries. They butchered one, which was horrific. Owen Lane, you know, just not catching the ball with a run-in, absolute yep. run-in. Um, missed an Ugh. easy kick at goal, so they could have won that game. Um, do, do you want to touch on Dragons Shinashi? Yes, please. Dragons Scarlet. Honestly, refereeing was atrocious, in mm. my opinion. And if, if I, I suppose a lot of things are different in refereeing in different levels and different interpretations, but if you look at the refereeing in England at the moment, especially the likes of Luke Pierce and Wayne Barnes, they are yep. streets ahead of everyone else. Yeah, and it is it is it, it's, it's a huge gap. It's a chasm. It's got, I mean, I don't, I don't know when they issue the award for the referee of the year, but it's got to be Wayne Barnes this year. It's got to be. I'd go Luke Pierce personally. Really? Okay. Yeah. And partly for his, um, I thought he was brilliant in the, I can't remember who Italy were playing. The, I can't remember who they were playing, but uh, the Ignacio Brexit incident where he takes a knock to the head, takes a knee and Luke Pierce stops the game, tells him to keep on, keep on the floor, stay still because, um, you know, the head collision and the worry about concussion and all these sort of things. I thought he was brilliant. Big fan of Luke Pierce. But the, the refereeing in that Scarlet Dragons game was terrible. I haven't got any issue with the, the yellow cards. I thought they were actually spot on. Maybe mm. Dragons could have had a yellow card earlier. I think you look at the penalty count, it's like 16-6 against Dragons. And Scarlet's had three yellow cards to, to Dragons one, but it doesn't tell the whole story because they were, uh, I think it was a high shot from John Fox. It was a professional foul, I suppose. Is the, yeah. There's a term for a, a deliberate knock-on and another one for uh, not releasing on the floor. But um, the the tries that were allowed to, to happen, um, there's there's two for me that are double movement. One, one where he's tackled and then gets up and, he propels his body over the try line that was barely looked at. There's another one where it's deemed that it's not tackle complete, where um, the centre Jack Dixon runs through Sam Costello, but Costello has a hold of his ankle. You know, if you look at American football, for instance, it's it's once the knee's down and you're in contact with a player, yep. that's ta that's <clears throat> tackle that's uh, down or tackle complete in rugby, which is exactly the same law pretty much. But um, it was determined that he didn't he didn't have 
any control on Jack Dixon when he was on the floor. But the issue in rugby is if you don't roll away then immediately after <laughs> right. you get penalised. Yeah, you so can't just... <laughs> That's a Sam Costello was, was in a rock and a hard place that he, <laughs> he, he thought he'd made the tackle, rolled away, but then he's... He, He's penalised for not holding onto the player, whereas yeah. otherwise he's penalised for holding onto the player. Oh, wow. It was one of these bizarre situations. For me, the decision was wrong. Uh, there's another one where I think it's a knock on, but that's more of a 50 50 sort of is the ball short of the line? Is it on the mm. line? But I think the decision originally was knocked on, and then he went to the TMO and then reversed that decision. For me, there wasn't enough evidence to reverse it. Mm. Um, I think probably a, an indictment of the refereeing performance was uh, former Wales international was doing the commentary in Welsh and uh, to paraphrase it, his, his, <laughs> what he said was, um, well, that wasn't a conventional decision by Ben Whitehouse, but he hasn't followed convention all night, <laughs> <laughs> which I thought was a rather significant telling indictment of the performance. The last few um, weeks, the, the comms throughout rugby have been amazing. Uh, yeah. One of my favorites was uh, somebody horribly horribly missed uh, a penalty kick and they and they said well that kick didn't have everything it needed in terms of direction <laughs> <laughs> that's brilliant well one of my favorite ones came in the champions cup last season where austin healy who yeah he's a marmite figure we all know but um <laughs> that's a was... great way to put it i've uh, by the way i've come all the way around on him I, I used to complain about him i now when i hear his voice at the beginning of a match i'm like okay here we go he's gonna be good <laughs> Yeah, you're going to hear some sound bites no matter what happens. Yeah. But um, it was a game between La Rochelle and I can't remember. I want to say Clermont last season. And all French fixtures in the Champions Cup have unfortunately tended to be rather dull affairs. Mm. And the last season was by far not the exception to the rule. Um, it was, <laughs> fifth, I think the score was 15 12 in the 76th minute, and it had been basically a game played in between the two 10 metres lines. And I think Claremont get a kick for post directly in front of the post on 76 minutes. And Austin Healy would just hear him say, oh, please, God, let this not go over. Because <laughs> 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 he couldn't face going to extra time for another 20 minutes. And I thought that was one of the best bit of commentary I've ever heard because I was thinking exactly the same thing. <laughs> um, what was it? A, a couple of weeks ago, a player just got absolutely smashed in a tackle and the comms said uh oh we're a bit worried because he has the long cleats in today and we're worried that he might just sort of be drilled into the field and we might <laughs> never get him out again <laughs> brilliant <laughs> that's, that's, that is the one i i've listened to your podcast as well and it's like the words that come up that i think are those rugby terms now it's like cleats rosters things like that that are obviously taken quite predominantly from the NFL terms and mm, we, yeah. tend to use, we tend to use studs and uh, team sheets and things like that but yes yeah, it's, it's great to hear is, is that the terminology that you use in the states is it just yeah I think spelled? there's yeah even, even uh you know we don't talk about the league table we talk about standings and uh you know it, it it's the schedule yeah. the, the schedule not the fixture list the fixture is, yeah. it, it was mystifying to me so you know That's <laughs> No, I, I, there's almost no sport we have that it has league points in general. Every, it's win loss and that's it. And then there's yeah. you know, tiebreakers after that. So you're never looking at total points. That's a, another mystifying thing. And yeah. even the, it's one of my thing. One of the reasons I love the European competition so much is there's 
absolutely nothing like that here it would be like you know mm-hmm. like I'm a, I'm a patriots fan in the nfl like it would be like okay well it's week six that means you're not playing an nfl team this week you're going to canada and you're playing the edmonton chargers or something like that for, yeah. for these two weeks like there's just no comparison at all and uh the fact that it was so confusing is one of the things that sort of drew me into it and, and makes me love it so much now yeah it, it, it was always something outside of the pod that makes us laugh when uh sort of um, the Super Bowl happens and then they're, they're labelled world champions when no other yeah. country's competing. <laughs> oh, Which, it, it, I, it is the most American of all things. We're going we're to take, take your name for a sport, make a different sport and call it that. And then we're not going to yeah. invite anyone to play us and declare ourselves world champions. Yeah. I'm by no means claiming that any of our sides could beat you. But however... <laughs> I, I do think America would, would in fact be the world champions anyway. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, um, it, would, it would be down to us in Germany, I think. Yeah, but... Yeah, I no, I, I, it must be really difficult to have that transition of seeing, you know, bonus points, for instance. You know, that concept oh, yeah. must be completely alien and yeah, that, it's mystifying. You know, the idea that you get get something from a loss, you know, effectively. Yeah. So if you lose within seven points, that's a good achievement. <laughs> well, the last two weeks in in uh, the European Cups too, with this whole, uh, well, mm. you might have won today, but you didn't necessarily win because it's this two match aggregate thing. In fact, the last two weeks, I've been hearing people use the word tie to refer to just a match. And I've never heard the word tie used that way before at all. And suddenly it's like Grand Theft Auto when you, you get a car and all of a sudden all the other cars you see are that same car. Yeah. It's like you hear the word once and boom, suddenly the vocabulary yeah. of everyone's populated by this. And suddenly I'm hearing tie everywhere. Oh, the, the tie this weekend. I'm like They haven't played yet. How do you know it's a tie? Yeah. Sorry, I realize this is my pod, but just out of interest, would you be... Sorry, I realize this isn't my pod, I should say. Um, <laughs> hey, did you... somebody took my pod. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Do you not know this is a hostile takeover? Oh, um, <laughs> Stupid I, I was wondering, <laughs> what is your take on uh, the two-legged ties? Because obviously that was a, an introduction this year, and there's a lot of talk about whether it'll be in place next year. I I hate it. It's uh, it, it's just really? so strange. It 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 takes away like because you, if you're there for the first game. How do you how do you celebrate? Like you have to win by thirty to be like okay, that's definitely a win. Okay, mm. we're good. Like otherwise, you know, if it if you win by three, what are you leaving the stadium like? Like oh okay, well see you, see you next week, guys. I guess like it's very very strange to me. See, I I was completely on 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 that side of the fence of saying I don't like it. You know, I'm I'm a big fan of um, soccer as well or football as mm. as I like to call it as we like to call it as everyone um, likes to call. It. <laughs> well, actually, actually, a lot, of, a lot of Welsh fans call it soccer as well, but that's a that's another oh, topic. Um, but the uh, Champions Champions League, obviously, that has always had these two-legged ties that have this brilliant ability. That say it was, uh, I don't know, say Real Madrid beat Barcelona two 0 in the first leg, then Barcelona could then win three 0 in the following leg and go through, and that has that creates such brilliant brilliant games of football and uh, honestly uh, it has such a brilliant effect on the sport in general interesting transitioning that to rugby i thought wasn't going to work um i'm a bit more sort of on the fence with it now actually i must be honest i, I there's, quite... there's a lot more points in a rugby match usually so you exactly. know if the score is one nothing or two nothing it, it makes it a lot tighter i guess but when the score is 32 to 14 that's different exactly but I, i'm I, I've seen shoots of it, how it can work in rugby. For instance, you look at the Harlequins-Montpellier tie 
and Montpellier, I can't remember what the scoreline was, but they're almost 24 points to the good. They're running away with a first tie. Then Harlequins come up with a brilliant comeback, bring it back to something like 40-24 in the first tie. Right. And, and normally you'd say, oh, well, it was a valiant effort. It would be one of these sort of, oh, maybe Montpellier got complacent, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But then in the second tie, Harlequins win by 13 points and almost had a kick to actually win the game. Yeah. Uh, win the tie over. Magic Marcus. I don't know what happened. It was weird. I know. Rugby Jesus went off for a weekend. Um, <laughs> <laughs> don't, think, don't think it was a coincidence that it was Easter weekend, perhaps. But the, <laughs> <laughs> but the fact that, but the fact that, uh, that, that that tie was still alive, that they could still get back in it was yeah. great. On the flip side of that, you look at a game like Sale Bristol, where the first leg of that was one of the worst games of rugby I've ever seen, by the way, yeah. I want to add. Uh, finished 9 10, uh, Sale lost at home to, um, to Bristol. Uh, Sale on the 72nd minute or something like that have a penalty to, uh, to go, and they think about going to the corner. They decide to go for points because yep. it doesn't matter if they lose the first tie, it's about being as tight as possible. And that's, yeah, yeah. Where I, that's where I somewhat don't quite agree with this element of you're not actually trying to win the game anymore. You're trying to stay in it. I, I think that's the one where I sort of uh, somehow I didn't know that it was going to be an aggregated score for these two weekends. And that was the moment. It was when Sale were like, oh, OK, we're going to uh, take the points here instead of you have to go to the corner, which, you know, the yeah. game dictated. I was so confused. But thankfully, uh, Philippa, is it Tatiet? I, I think it sounds yeah, yeah. She's my favorite commentator, possibly of all, and she she really? spelled spelled it out very nicely. And I was like, "Oh, okay, this is a much different animal than I thought we had right now." Uh, it's funny because you know now that we're talking about it, I, I guess it's like you're you're sacrificing the value of the first game for making the second game much more exciting, potentially. Yeah, yeah, you are essentially, and that is, and that has a plethora of things involved in it. It's sort of adds a lot of value to being in the second tie, um, mm. being home for the second tie, which yeah. is, is, is actually down to where you finished in the league table. So there's some some form of fairness there. I, I do somewhat understand why they've done it this year, especially because with COVID and et cetera, it was impossible to judge whether teams 1 to 16, whether you were in your rightful place being 16. Yeah, having, yeah. Having a two-legged tie as opposed to a one-legged tie where the home side is the team one to eight and then the way tight side is team nine to 16 seem mm. a lot fairer. Um, I do, I do agree with it to some extent. And I understand that I don't know whether I would like to see it week in, week out, especially with all this talk about the rugby calendar and there's not enough time in the rugby windows, et cetera, et cetera. Right. I hear that all season, not enough time for postponements, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so I, I, I would be, I'm still probably on the edge of sticking with one-legged ties for the time being. Well, there's that thing with the Challenge Cup too, where you know people talk a lot about because with with the French league, with the top 14, that league is so important to them. And so if they go out at the beginning of the Challenge Cup and muff it and you know put themselves in a bad position, they're just not going to show up after that. They send a, a, yeah. a, C, a C team and they don't really try. Um, so by the round of 16, it, it, you probably don't really have that. But I would be very worried about having a, a two-legged series of matches between teams who aren't even going to show up like earlier in this in, yeah. in the year. That would be terrible. Yeah, I and 
you know, well, Ospreys did it this season as well in the Champions Cup when they they, they forced to uh, forfeit that game against Racing. They they threw they well threw is possibly not the right word, but they played a second team against Sale to that that ultimately cost them the game. But it is somewhat of the factor of that the top 14 is so crucial for the French teams. Right. There is so much money involved in it. There is so much um, impact on the national setup or, or et cetera, et cetera. And it is so brutal that they have to play their first team in the, in the, in the top 14. Whereas right. you look at the URC, it's like you know, to use one of those Scottish rugby podcast phrases, Tombola with selections, they will, <laughs> they'll pick one team one weekend and pick a different one the next. Just out yeah, of fun. yeah. Some of the Irish teams have been doing that in South Africa. So, it, it's, it, you know, 13 out of 15 people are not the same the, the very next week. It's pretty interesting. Yeah, uh, it's, 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 it's a bizarre situation. And um, like you saw that with, at the moment, we've got these double headers going on with the regionals in Wales. And you'll see Scarlet's win by 20 points or something against Cardiff. And then the following week, They'll play a completely different team. Yeah. <laughs> you think, well, if you, you were so successful last week, why are you changing your team this week? But yeah, it well, seems to be the way, unfortunately, with modern rugby. Uh, out of those four Welsh teams in the URC, Scarlets, they, they've been the best this year. They do have 38 league points. They're only five off of the Bulls. Are, are Scarlets fans feeling like there's a, a final run for this season? Is there a chance to sneak into that top eight? Um, I think they were definitely thinking it before last weekend. Um, <laughs> I think I, I, that that Dragons result may have scuppered any chances because uh, you look at Scarlets would have been what on forty points, forty forty one points maybe. Um, so I think they yeah forty one points because they would have had two bonus points in that game, but they would have had a definite chance to reach to reach Bulls, get closer. Now it's looking a bit touch and go. You look at the form of the South African sides at home when they're so successful at home, it's difficult to see them losing those games. Right. Um, I, Scarlet's are the only hope, frankly, of any side being in the top eight simply due to the Ospreys' lack of bonus points. If Ospreys could get bonus points from somewhere, maybe they could. You know, they're... they're hypothetically they could be only eight points behind but knowing the Ospreys it's not going to be eight points because they're never going to get a five-point win so Scarlet's the only hope at the moment Uh, as opposed to the other regions it has been well it's been a disappointing season for Ospreys they've been below par Um, Cardiff and Dragons it's been abysmal especially Dragons it's been so bad and I I love looking at the numbers and, and spin doctoring things in different ways so if you, if you look at how bad Cardiff were this year, they're seven points behind the Lions, who have half of Leinster's total. That's yeah. that's pretty amazing. And the Dragons, yeah. they've only got two wins on the entire year after 13 attempts, and they haven't gotten out of the teens in the in the table points. Zebra, winless Zebra are the only team below them. Uh, is that, that that grisly photo of Richard Hibbard's shoulder a microcosm for the club as a whole right now? <laughs> um, it, it, there's a lot going on there. It's it's it's, it's not looking pretty. Um, I was going to quote before. Actually, you asked me to do this a couple of weeks ago, and um, I had a Dylan Thomas quote prepared to say, "Don't go gently into that good night." And that was <laughs> that was how I felt about the Dragons. Is that that is pretty much their season? Is they're heading towards 
they are heading towards a, a deep pit of despair, to be perfectly frank, as a Dragons yeah. fan. But after the last week, there's a little bit of a shoot of optimism. Okay. Um, I think it's a false false shoot. I, don't, I think it's definitely an outlier. Their performances this season, there have been some abysmal performances, you know, away in Leinster, away in Africa. Conversations where Dean Ryan has come out in press conferences, the coach, and said things like, well, it's clearly... Clearly, my fault. I'm to blame. Really? And well, if it is your fault, why are you still in the job? Is probably the question to ask. <laughs> um, little things like a former player, Tavis Niles. I, I, I don't know if you've seen. I, I probably you missed this, but um, a player, Tavis Niall, former Wales international forward, Dragons player. He left mid-season, which is rather bizarre thing to do in rugby. I know it's more common in this in the states with oh. NFL etc., but you never see it in rugby and. He left midway through the season and he was on a chat show and said, yeah, there's there's so many problems at the club. There's too many. The, the words he used were there were too many Englishmen in charge. Wow. Yeah. Um, which, let's be honest, is a rather xenophobic comic to make. Um, <laughs> let's, let's, not, let's not be around the bush. But I think what he was sort of talking about was there's too many people that don't have the interests of the club at heart. Interesting and are coming at it from a standpoint that they don't understand the way that Welsh rugby works. I don't personally think it should be that different to English rugby. I don't think it should, but his his standpoint is that there are a lot of, there's a lot of talks of bullying involved in there. Really? There's lots of things behind the scenes that are going wrong at the Dragons. Personally, if I'm, if I'm being completely frank, do I think that the Dragons is that good a side that should be performing better than it is? Not much. Really? Not not personally. And there's been a lot of talk about how great this Dragon side is. I think the pack, the pack is strong. The pack is strong. You're looking at one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. You're looking at um, I think seven or eight internationals in that pack available. So that's that's a pretty strong pack, but the back line then you're looking at players that aren't getting, as I mentioned before, aren't getting into the national setup and haven't done for years. Um, bar Jonah Holmes, who looks like he's off to to pastures new at the end of the season due to various reasons. Well, it, um, it's, it, you know, as an outsider, even I hear constantly these things about, oh well, the problem with Welsh rugby is the politics. There's all this internal fighting and there's yeah. squabbling and there's it's politics, it's politics, it's politics. But then nobody ever wants to tell you what those politics are <laughs> and what what, the, what that means. And so I, I've sort of felt, you know, as an ignorant outsider, I feel like if all four sides are underperforming, if it was three teams instead, that would make more sense. You'd have a you know a tighter player pool. It would every those three teams would all be stronger. But obviously, no team wants to just fold up their tent and say, "Okay, fine, you know, we'll, we'll become absorbed into you." No team is going to say, "Well, go ahead, have a, have our team," because it's their team, it's their regional mm -hmm. thing. So nobody would ever give that up. Uh, what is the solution? How does how do things get better in Wales? Um, that is the billion dollar question. Uh, <laughs> you have fourteen <laughs> seconds. <laughs> yeah, if you have the answer, please please appoint yourself uh, head of WIU. Um, <laughs> I think uh, that uh, there are there are several parts to it and there's several issues. Um, in terms of when you said about internal politics and people don't want to explain what it is, I, I think people don't know altogether. I, I mm. genuinely think there's so many historical issues, be it 
um, WRU versus the regions, whereas it should be a partnership. It seems to be this interesting, never-ending battle. You look at certain players, because of the current rule that's in place in Wales, the 60-cap rule, mm. um, just to explain that, obviously, that if you haven't played, uh, in simple terms, if you've played for Wales and haven't had 60 caps, you have to move back to Wales to play, to continue playing. Oh, wow. To continue playing for the national side. So, uh, bizarrely, players like Callum Sheedy, who hasn't yet, who hadn't been capped at the stage uh, that he was signed by Bristol, could play for Wales. But if he now wants to sign a new contract, he has to move back to Wales to continue playing wow. for Wales. It's a rather bizarre situation. So then you see that players... seems onerous considering, you know, then that comes down to the club. Do they even have the money to get him? And do they need him right then? Like that, that seems a, like a putting a strange, you know, burden on teams that shouldn't have to think about that. So that is part of, part of my opinion of the issue that um, the reason it was brought in was to avoid a player drain because a lot of these world-class players, you look at the, the sort of Adam Joneses, the Luke Charterses, the Dan Lidgett's, Rob, um, Jamie Roberts, they went they went abroad eventually because they were these big contracts coming in from France, from England, yep. and we put that 60-cap-it rule in place to try and avoid that happening. But the problem now is you're getting players that are being signed on these contracts by the WIU to come back to Wales, to continue playing for Wales, but then are... Um, in my opinion, slotted into different clubs to suit the means of the national side as opposed to yeah. the national clubs. Yeah. For instance, Lee Halfpenny, it, 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 this is purely my opinion, was signed back with the Scarlets. Now, he was a Cardiff player, brought and bred. Halfpenny, one of the best fullbacks has ever been uh, in, in the Welsh shirts and one of the best of the last 10 years. But I think anyone could have told you that Half, Halfpenny had his limitations in terms of counter-attacking mm. ability. Scarlet's relies on counter-attacking ball. And it seemed a bizarre yeah, marriage. Yeah. Um, so which, some, which could lead to a position where the coach says, okay, well, you're on the team, but you're not, you don't really fit my game plan, so you're going to sit on the bench. Exactly. And there are certain players that have signed huge contracts and gone back to Wales and, in my opinion, aren't deserving of those contracts, frankly. Mm. Um, I'm not going to dig them out here, but uh, that's, that's something that I would say. But... Um, with with regards to other elements of things, I, I was listening to Bernard Jackman, former Dragons coach, former Irish international. He was talking about how the collegiate system or the system in, in Ireland of training players through academies is far, far superior to the Welsh system. Mm. And you're getting these products in Ireland that are incredibly already built, look look like yeah, international, yeah. look like professional rugby players. Robo Leinster. Exactly, compared to compared to Welsh players who are physically inferior huh. due, to, due to how they've been trained. Um, and I think you look at things like the under-20s currently, the, the, the lack of success maybe there, that wasn't the, wasn't the most successful season. You look at the performance against Ireland, which was pretty galling, frankly. It's, it's a bit of a worrying sign for the future, and that's what a lot of Wales fans and a Wales pundits and rugby Twitter is is worried about is that is the progression into the future of what's going to happen um, because there has been what some would label a golden generation in Wales and what's hmm. coming next is the worry and in terms of amalgamating two regions um, I've always been against it partly because I worry 
if you amalgamate two regions, you have 15 less players effectively who get a chance to play on a weekend. That's true. That's true. So you there are 15 players that you don't get to train through and bring through and gradually see them develop and see if they can become internationals. So we'll yeah. have to we'll have to attract from the national setup. Um, alternatively, you could flip it and say, well, if you've got two teams amalgamating, then you get a more successful side. What if they're then performing against, they're then reaching the quarterfinals of Europe. They're then reaching right. the semifinals of Europe. Um, they're then getting their uh, opportunities to test themselves at the highest level of regional rugby, which will then benefit the national side. It's it's a struggle. And at the moment, it seems to be a battle. And people talk about it, that the WIU is the fifth region as opposed to being this. Oh, interesting. Sort of yeah, yeah. Other entity. Instead it's of like, being an umbrella, it's its own thing. Interesting. Yeah, it's it's as if it's 2020, 2020, as opposed to yeah, overarching. Well, I'm, I'm very curious about this. The uh, so the artist formerly known as the Pro 14, this new URC. <laughs> uh, we've got a. Uh, they've set up these sort of mini divisions, and uh, you know the, the the shields that people are allegedly playing for. Um, <laughs> I, I like to call well, it, but, the, well, Scot the, the Scottish division. I call the the Haggis Cannoli Shield, uh, <laughs> but. One of the things about that is that each of those mini divisions sort of gets an extra shot at the Heineken Cup for next year. So is that a good yeah. thing? If you're Scarlet, is that good news? Is that what you're sort of hanging your hat on right now at this point of the season? Like, well, at least this gives us a chance. Or, I mean, is that bad news? Because if you're doing badly, do you want to be thrown into the Champions Cup? Um, well, um, financially, yes, is the okay. simple answer. Because uh, you look at... If we're talking crowds in Wales, that's that's an additional issue. Which crowds crowds attendance at the regional games has been atrocious for years. But interesting, you look do you, at the, do you go do you do you go to see these games? Uh, unfortunately, at the moment I'm not because of COVID, and I'm screening okay. with um, family members, etc. So that's a bit of a difficulty for me. But sure. for instance, Lucy, my co-host, she goes to regularly. To, she's a Scarlets fan, but has managed to find herself as she's a pianist as well. So accompanies the Cardiff choir. Really? Because she's Cardiff-based. So she goes to the Cardiff games and then turns up to the Scarlet games. Generally, wow. turn, generally turns up to the Cardiff games in a big red coat as well yeah. to, support, <laughs> to support Scarlet. So um, even if they're not playing. Wow. That's, that's, so, so yeah, she attends very regularly. I, I'm, I, I want to next season. That's the plan. Um, mm. Unfortunately, this season has been a bit difficult. Um, but the, yeah, as I say, the attendance has been atrocious. Um, and that is something that we need to look at. But for instance, you look at the Champions Cup, you look at Cardiff, the attendance for that Toulouse game, it was a sellout at, at home, even, even despite the fact that Cardiff had, what was it, 15, 16 players out yeah, yeah. and available due to the South Africa trip, they still managed to sell out that stadium. And that was that was a huge boost to them financially. And, and it, it was awesome too. Something about the, the spirit of that game, because everybody showed up knowing okay, this is a team that's probably not going to win today, but look, they're here. They put together this team. It was a magical day somehow. I, oh, I, yeah. it, it was so much fun to watch. Oh, it was beautiful. You had thrice-retired Dan Fish running, exactly. pulling the strings at 10. It was <laughs> absolutely beautiful. I, I think at one point they called me, so that's how bad it was. <laughs> yeah, it was brilliant. <laughs> I, I, I did lace up my boots, but then remembered that, yeah, I can't play rugby to save my life, which is why I do podcasts. <laughs> um, the... the um, yeah, oh, yeah. I'm. I'd love to say I'm actually joking and saying that I'm a better. I'm a better player than I am. But no, I, I mean, I'm terrible. Um, <laughs> but the, the the those issues are so fundamental that if you can 
get a Champions Cup tie, say, you know, say Scarlet's draw to lose, that is a huge crowd boost to them. Oh, okay. On home ties. It just automatically means money. Essentially. And I, I know to simplify simplified sport in terms of money is something that no one wants to do but at mm. the end of the day money is what brings in the best players and you look at Scarlet's next season they've signed for Fita which is a great signing for them but they've made some really good for, uh, foreign based signings recently and if they want to continue doing that they need the financial backing to do mm. it um, for instance for a side like Ospreys all hope for top tier European rugby looks out for next season we look like we want to be in the Challenge Cup and the Challenge Cup is such a drop down from the Champions Cup. Mm. Yeah, if you could, if you think about it in Europe, in, in in soccer, in football terms, the Europa League and Champions League, it's not even that. It's like the Champions League versus the Europa Conference League when you're playing against Bodo Glimpt away. Oh, like it is, it, <laughs> honestly, the fact of the matter is, people people just do not care about the Challenge Cup until it's semi final finals yeah. time. And when you're thinking, that's when you're thinking, okay, we can get a trophy out of this. But still, it's a, it's just a second-rate, third-rate trophy. It's funny because a couple of years ago, EPCR made all the matches available to stream for free. You just had to sign up yeah. and just be like, here's my email address. And they go, okay, here's a link. And that was awesome because... The, so I, I I watch a lot of rugby. I watch several different leagues. Uh, you know, I'm a, a founding member of the Free Jacks here in Major League Rugby. I, I watch all the Prem. I watch all the URC. I watch all the Super Rugby and all the uh, internationals I can find. Hmm. Um, and then, but what, what we can't watch here is the top 14. There is no access to it. Like you can look it up on YouTube if you want, but when it, it sucks looking for rugby matches on YouTube because you search for it and then the title of the video is, you know, BRX 34, Toulon 20. And you're like, yeah, yeah. okay, well, that was it. And uh, not going to yeah, watch yeah. now. So, yeah. so the European Cups were the only chance and are the only chance I get to see these awesome French teams. And just the, the, the crowds are different. The, the trappings of the games are different. The noise uh, the, the uniforms like between the, the juice boxes and the Michelin men this year it's been so much fun and like <laughs> so I would watch all of those matches and stuff but they yeah. in the last couple of years they've been like ah nobody's going to pay attention until the round of 16 uh in fact they haven't been, the challenge cup hasn't been available until until the next round I'm not going to be able to see any of those things yet yeah the I think the only game from the Challenge Cup that was on TV was uh, Southampton's Cardiff on oh, really? the weekend. That was on because it, there was only two games on Sunday. Yeah, so yeah. So they stuck that one on uh, on BT. But um, yeah, it's, it's difficult. It's it's difficult to to get behind a, a sport where if you're not, for instance, for, for you guys, but for us as well in in the UK, if if it's not on TV, you're not going to get behind it. And um, that's the problem with the Challenge Cup. That if it's fighting against the Champions Cup, it's the poor man's friend to be frank yeah um and the maybe it could be on different weekends but that doesn't work with the overall calendar maybe at different times but what other times can you play rugby right. from sort of 12 2 4 and 8 really what, what, what are the t you can't really sign up to watching a rugby game in the uk playing in the uk at 9 a.m in the morning i don't yeah. think any rugby players would favor that <laughs> Don't think many rugby fans appreciate having to watch the the the, 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 uh, the Curry Cup does midweek games, which seems bizarre, but it's really nice to know that they're there. Yeah, it's it's uh, midweek games is something that um, 
I would I'd love to see in rugby, but I think practically it's not not realistic. Right. Um, the you saw last season um, with COVID, there was there were a few few midweek games which saw I think something like game every four days or something was that Harlequins were playing at one stage and that was just the COVID situation but practically you are then talking you know we talked about rotate, rotation of sides you are talking different different 30s yeah every single game time. Um, Super Rugby's had that this year where the, so many cancellations or postponements right off the bat and so Moana Pacifica has had to play like on a Sunday and then a Tuesday and then a Friday, and then a Monday, like over and over. I think they're finally yeah. caught up now, but that's not fair to anybody. <laughs> no, it's not fair to anybody. And it, historically, actually, I was looking into this recently that um, the Women's World Cup this year, it's the first year, I think, maybe maybe the second year that they've had the World Cup where they've actually had proper spacings in between games. Because mm. back when we were interviewing Lisa and she was talking about her time in 2010 where the games were every four days in a World Cup. And that seems wrong. Yeah, it just seems wrong in a World Cup where, where rugby is such a physical sport. It can't compete with football for being every three, four days. It it just it just can't. It is a different yeah. sport. It has different sort of collisions, and they always I talk think, about that in the NFL. That you know, a Monday morning you feel like you've been in a car crash. Yeah, yeah, and and rugby do it without all the padding as well. So right. uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I am a fan of American football as well. It's, it's, it's an unjust joke for me, um, but no, it's a, they, a, it's an easy one to make, and it is you know it's just a different animal though, and um, it's interesting because I have a friend actually who is a USA Hall of Famer. She she played in the first two Rugby World Cups, and yeah. and she you know we talked about that, and she said you know having no pads is almost a, a form of self-policing though, because you can't use your body as a spear. You can't you, skewer somebody with your helmet because you're not mm -hmm. wearing a helmet. So you, the way you approach tackling is inherently different and uh, you know, not as dangerous in a way because you're not using your body as a projectile. Yeah, uh, well, that's the theory. Um, <laughs> last couple of weeks, would, would <laughs> <laughs> there have been a few challenges that would question that, I suppose, but you know. The, you the you one... know what I think would help a lot? They're starting to cross-pollinate uh, referees too. There was. A few weeks ago, I think it was in the Prem, they had an Australian ref. And it, it, one of the first things Austin Healy said was like, well, that, that tan is at least seven layers deeper than anyone else on the field. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, But if you watch Super Rugby, compared to like the Prem, watching Super Rugby is like, oh, that was a high tackle. 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 And they're just not, they're not stopping it. And uh, mm -hmm. I feel like cross-pollinating those refs would make the game more consistent sort of globally and also would probably help when it comes time for a world cup that people aren't screaming about, Oh, well, if it hadn't been this guy from France or this guy from South Africa, blah, blah, blah. Well, that's a, that's a huge problem at the moment. I think is, is the, it's, it's, it's just split in two. So that. Uh, yeah. Split in two rugby at the moment is the, the, the refereeing in the Northern hemisphere. And I to some extent South Africa now because it is yeah. essentially part of the Northern Hemisphere what is what was Sanzar what is now Australia and New Zealand and the Pacific um, for instance a couple of couple of weeks ago um, oh, his name has skipped me fullback for Australia Tom Tom Banks oh Tom Banks fullback for Australia yep um, he's playing for I think the Brumbies gets a red card 
I swear, yeah. I, I called him Tony Banks a red for card like five weeks in a row on this podcast. Um, <laughs> brilliant. Um, but he got he got a red card that was one of the most obvious decisions I thought. Um, it was reckless. It was high. It was head to head contact. Um, Angus Gardner went through all the protocols, explained the mitigation, gave the red card. Straight after Sands, I've gone. Yeah, we don't think that's a red card. Red cards sufficient enough. We won't penalise him anymore. Interesting. And it's just about that consistency where you look at that and then you think, how how is that? Because obviously Southern Hemisphere, there's all game bumfa like every single time, sort of <laughs> those sort of things. Well, of all the governing bodies of rugby, it feels like Sansar is the most suspicious and weird. Yeah, there are some. There are some inter- like there's a, a Geordie Barrett one a couple of uh, last year where he's jumped up for a high ball and he's stuck his leg out. I remember. And he's caught someone in the face and they've gone, well, that's that's just jumping technique. And Dan Evans for the Ospreys did that in exactly the same way. 30 seconds into a game, got a red card. And I thought, yeah. now, I, I, and Dan Evans had a hefty ban. I can't remember how many weeks it was, but it was something like four plus. Yeah. And Jordy Barrett gets nothing. And I just thought, where's where on earth is the consistency here? Yeah. Um, and, of, and of course, I, if, if Jordy had gotten a red card, somebody else would have come on 20 minutes later. Yeah, uh, yeah, that's that's another topic. I'm not I'm not pro twenty minute red cards at all. Um, although it has made it seems like now Sands are more, more prone to give red cards. That yeah, the referees seem so. seem more excited to give red cards, which is positive. But because um, they don't want to spoil the game, and I use air quotes again. But, yeah. <laughs> um, uh, but yeah, I, I I'm not I'm not wholly convinced on a 20 minute card it just seems to diminish what is a really serious issue which is head contact and you look at some of the challenges recently you know that the Caleb Clark one where he jumps up in the year and he catches someone with his knee that's that's horrendous oh man you know for <laughs> concussions that is well it's not I, like his knees are very big because oh wait yeah he's a huge bloke <laughs> six foot and he jumps into someone's face you know <sighs> if, that's that's a step away from assault, isn't it? Let's be honest about it. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then he, he's on the short list with me with Pierre Skuman, where I'm like, if your thighs get any bigger, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> global tides might be affected. The, mo- the <laughs> path of the moon is going to be impacted, yeah. But you know, you look at some of the players that are having to stop out, stop through the concussion, it is such a serious issue. And I know uh, your side of the pond, it's been a serious issue for lots of time, but it's about mm. now rugby has to take it seriously, it just has to because. You see these players like James Davis, the Scarlet's great, uh, having to retire. 500 days he's been out with concussion or something ridiculous like that. Wow. And, you know, finally has to retire. And uh, I don't know if you saw the Saracens, I think it was Brief game, where a player, essentially Saracens are going in for their eighth, ninth try. And it's a two-on-one. And this fullback or scrum half, I can't remember who it was, he just decides, well, I'm frustrated. I'm going to take it out on you. Oh. And just absolutely you know, smashes him high off the ball late, just ticking every single box you want. Yeah, yeah. And that's the sort of behaviour we need to get out of the game. Well, it's interesting too, because the, the people who, you know, oh, who want to relax those rules and don't want to see this increased emphasis on, you know, penalising people for high tackles. And so it, it's always... Well, if you want to play this game, you know what you're signing up for. You know the risk. You know it's a risky sport. It is a violent sport. So you know. But I really feel like the answer to that is you don't know in terms of long-term mental effects. You know, you, you, you probably think, 
oh geez i might blow out my knee and have a limp or something like that or you know if i i might break my wrist and that might make writing harder or something like that you're not yeah. thinking you know am i going to recognize my wife after 20 years yeah there's there's not big enough study pool to tell you what's going to happen to yeah. begin with you look at as you know rugby's been professional what now 27 years is that right yep uh, yeah exactly. so so then it's just now that we're seeing those players that started off in the professional areas and the early noughties and that's why we're seeing these you know hefty um court cases coming out and yeah accusations being leveled you know i i, I must admit i don't know I haven't read too much into them. I've read what I can into them as much as possible. Players like Alex Popham and players like that saying, you know, we've suffered these long-term injuries as a result of um, not having all the information that we would have wanted is perhaps the start off and perhaps yeah. also not being taken, not having due care and consideration taken by the physios and medical staff. And it is such a concern. Yeah. First and foremost, um, well, there was just an, I'm sorry, I'm not going to remember his name, but there was an article about an English player who, I think Steve. he, yeah, he scored a, 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 I think a winning try in a World Cup and doesn't remember any of it. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's bonkers, isn't it? Yeah. It's, it's, it's actually scary for these players. Well, Junior Seau is the biggest example I can think of over here, and I'm going to get choked up if I talk about him, so I'm going to skip that. <laughs> yeah, no, no problems. No problems. <laughs> I, yeah, I, I've had you on much longer than I anticipated it. You've been so generous with your time. No. <laughs> uh, um, I, I, I would love to end on something positive, but we're talking about Welsh rugby, so it's going to be hard. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, what do you see in the next few weeks? What are you looking forward to as a fan? Are, are you looking forward to this season just being over, or <laughs> what's on the horizon? I think bringing it back to the beginning of our discussion and finding the the positives is is easy. The women's game. Um, mm. I'm I, I I mentioned that I'm not going to many games, but I'm going to go to a grassroots level game on Sunday, which I'm really excited to oh, do. Uh, nice. Pontyclean Pont Falcons, which are um, a fairly local um, uh, Cardiff women's team, which I'm really excited to do. Um, little things like that. There's also seeing whether Wales can get three or maybe even four if they can beat France or five from the Six Nations that would be a superb achievement yeah um, France is going to be a tall order it's going to be a tall order um and you know if I'm if I have my heart overhead I would say Wales but if I'm head of a heart I may be saying France well, where um, are they playing that game it's, it's not at the Millennium right it's where's it going to no, be no <clears throat> it will be at the brewery field out of thoughts in oh. Bridgend okay uh, no sorry kind of arms park what have I said Cardiff Farms Park, Brewery Field was the old home of, of uh, Wales Women's Rugby, but they have moved to the Cardiff Farms Park now um, on that interesting 4G pitch. Um, <laughs> the, 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 the other positives, I think the Wales derbies could be exciting, the regional derbies. Sure. They could be really good this season. I quite like the idea of these double headers of having, yeah, yeah. Uh, for instance, we had Scarlet's away at Cardiff and then Cardiff away at Scarlet's, et cetera. And we're having the same with the Dragons now at Scarlet's. Quite like that idea. Um, One no of my favourite things, unfortunately, this year, but it'll as, still a, be as, good. A, as an outside viewer, the, uh, the Christmas Derbies, that is a tradition I just love. I look forward to it so much. It's such a cool aspect yeah. of this league. Yeah, that's that's a great thing. That that has been a great thing. And unfortunately, last year they they, they tried to get rid of it. And um, oh, 
largely. I think if you think of player welfare, you know, you're talking about players playing on Boxing Day when they want to enjoy their Christmases. Yeah. Um, but as a fan, it was, as a, yeah, as, as a fan, I had the same reaction, which was, yeah, but I like them. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. In, in the NBA, there's always a few teams that play on Christmas Day. And on one hand, people are like, oh, that's not really fair. And I'm like, no, that means you've made it. <laughs> like, you're yeah. the guy who has to play on Christmas that's the pinnacle that means you're one of those teams you know like anyway <laughs> it's like a thank thanksgiving days thanksgiving day games isn't it in the in the nfl exactly it's such a big oh, thing and though they need to re-examine that like it, it's enough already with the lions you know they're so bad every year. <laughs> um i do want to ask the last thing for you um the urc has been different this year with the with the introduction of these four south african teams um, as things stand right now, three out of the eight, you know, so-called playoff spots are going to be occupied both by those South African teams. Um, experiment success, experiment failure. What's your take on it? Have you enjoyed this new iteration? Um, hmm. It's been a weird year, obviously, but. It, 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 it's, it's a difficult one for me to quantify because start of the season, I was quite worried mm. um, for several reasons. One being. I feared what has happened, which is three South African sides in the in the top eight. And you look at the table, that would have meant two more Welsh sides in the top eight, whereas there's, would. There's, there's none currently. Um, uh, second of all, I didn't quite... I, I'm, I'm a bit reticent to see them then join Euro. I don't quite agree with that idea. I know this sound, sounds slightly... There's, there's an element of it being a sort of this is ours don't join ours sort of yeah, thing. yeah. I I, and I, I I don't want to say that too much but there is an element of that of what is now happening is you're getting teams from the southern hemisphere that are coming to the northern hemisphere for the product that we've created which is brilliant european rugby but what's now going to have happen to the southern hemisphere that's a bit of a worry i, I think yep. the, the end at the end goal is probably a, a world league and right. they're head, heading towards that. I don't know if that is set to happen or some form of some form of that. Um, the the other thing that's probably not quite worked is with the international windows, the way they're located. You look at, for instance, yeah, Scar Scarlet and Cardiff going down. Uh, sorry, yeah, it was Scarlet and Cardiff going down to South Africa minus all their international players because they came right off the back of the Six Nations. Yeah, and I feel like there was a sort of a, a promise that that was not going to be the case, and that did not play out. Yeah, and then you know, taking fifty something losses, you know, that's, that's, no one's keen to watch that. I, you know, I'm, I'm a fan of the Ospreys, but I'm not going to watch them lose by forty points in South Africa next season. So <laughs> that's that's the issue, and, and things. So you know, and, uh, there's a thing rugby rugby people always talk about. Um, you know, steel sharpens steel. You, you want uh, to be playing against the highest level of competition because it's the best way to get better. And uh, so my little take was, oh well. That's why when the All Blacks came here and just absolutely laid the wood to my Eagles and cracked us to the tune of 95 additional points, they haven't been good since then. Steel dull. <laughs> we have dulled that steel, my friend. <laughs> yeah, you just lulled them into a false sense of security, didn't yeah, you? Yeah, yeah. For the autumn. So <laughs> I, Ireland and French fans, or you would be able to, to be fair. <laughs> <laughs> uh, maybe the OS one as well because we played them I think the following week and we decided to 
yeah, play it outside of the international window, play a second team. So that was an interesting experience. So tell my listeners again, um, the, the interview you're probably going to be dropping today, um, where are they going to find that and uh, who's that going to be with and what else is coming up uh, in the future for the Uneducated Rugby podcast? So yeah, that interview will be dropping on all audio streaming platforms, be it Spotify, be it um, Apple Podcasts, uh, later today, hopefully around 6pm. Uh, on uh, It was funny, when you and I first connected, um, I went looking for you on iTunes and couldn't find you and I, I mentioned it and you were like, oh, hold on a sec. And then boom, it was there. Like, what, what kind of wand did you wave at that? Uh, that was a wand of, I've made a mistake and hadn't put it on there. Um, <laughs> Uh, so I have corrected that. So it will be on there. Um, likewise, we're hoping to get it on YouTube. As I mentioned, that is a, an ongoing process. Um, and that's with Lisa Newton, former Wales International current head coach at uh, Podsclean Falcons and head of rugby at Cardiff Met University. Um, and then hopefully in the future, we'll be doing more previews, reviews, same as we normally do of uh, the Wales women's games that are coming up. Uh, we tend to do these sort of double-headed reviews that we're tending to do for these uh, double-headers games as well for the regional fixtures. Um, a good friend of mine, Andy Davis, we had him on and for the first time and I said, oh, hopefully we'll have a nice easy one to come on for Wales Italy. He came on. <laughs> that was his first review. Was <laughs> Sorry um, about that. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and his second review that he came on, he's a Cardiff fan and his second review was a 14-49 loss at home to Scarlet. So I was like, <laughs> Sorry, Enjoy. buddy. <laughs> so yeah, that's 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 something that you can look forward to if you want to listen to the podcast. And um, yeah, it's more more of that sort of content. Uh, by the way, I I love uh, I'm a I'm a Ken Follett fan, the author. I uh, think he's so great, and um, he, he talks a lot about Wales. A lot of his stuff is set in Wales, and he he talks about the the sort of common names that you always see with Dave and Davies, which is also Davis and stuff. And but the number of of Williams and the iterations. And at one point, I was watching. I think a Wales match and I'm like, okay, that guy is a William and that guy's a William and that guy's a Liam and that counts. (laughs) (laughs) I think it was something like four or five out of the 15 guys in the pitch were, were some form of William. And uh, I think it was the same weekend I was watching Ireland play and they said something about, you know, gives the ball to Sean O'Brien. And I said out loud, what, there's only one Sean O'Brien. And then as if listening to me, the comms said, not that Sean O'Brien, but the other Sean (laughs) O'Brien. Yeah, it's, it is brilliant. Back in the day, there used to be um, there used to be the Joneses because you had Stephen Jones, Duncan Jones, Adam Jones, uh, David Jones, Mark Jones. I'm probably leaving one out, but there were so many Joneses on the pitch. It would just be like commentators would just eventually say, right, yes, can surnames. <laughs> Ryan passes it to Mark. <laughs> one passes it to two. Yeah. <laughs> well, the, the fact that there's Alan Wynn Jones and then there's Wynn Jones and they play on the same team right next to each other is it's it's amazing to me. <laughs> yeah, that was that was something that um I think it was Alan Alan Wynn Jones's wife was critical because his his name isn't actually double barreled or anything. It's just Alan Wynn Jones. His middle name is just Wynn. But right. for some reason they wanted to call him Alan Wynn Jones always. It is is Really, it should be Alan Jones. Oh, interesting. Yeah, so I don't know why. It's become... there, I, th- I thought it was hyphenated, is not No, no, I don't think so at all. So I think it's just become wow. this thing where, yeah. Uh, but anyway, I, I, it's, it's what, oh, was, it, was it that or was it Wynn Jones? People were calling him Wynn Jones as well. And it's like, that's that's not his name. It's interesting. Alan. I mean, th- this isn't the same thing at all, but I love the fact that you have Faf de Klerk and Rafi Quirk playing yeah. the same position on the same team. I'm like, oh man, the odds makers. <laughs> they must have cleaned yeah, up. That, 
That is one of the best things. I do love that as well. Like he is, <laughs> they couldn't have found a more uh, prodigy like player as well. He, he sort of, I know. He's he's. I, I love Rafi Quirk. I think he should. But personally, actually, on another topic, I think he should be the nine going forward for England. But um, oh, well. he's. But yeah, the the the, the prodigy elements of there being Faf the Clerk and now Rafi Quirk, the, the yeah. English South African sort of amidst what is it? What ten South Africans they got in that scene now? Is I think sale? so. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that, that was my silly little joke for a while. Is a uh, sale is just an acronym for South African lad, eh? <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> Well, Carwin, this has been so much fun. I really appreciate all your time. Uh, it's just been a huge treat for me. Uh, I, I'm loving your podcast. I can't wait to hear what comes next. Uh, I'll be tuning in along with you for the Women's Six Nations coming up. It's going to be great. And uh, maybe together we'll uh, put our heads down and pretend the next three games for the Welsh regions just don't happen. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that sounds like a great plan. Um, thanks so much for having me. It's been an absolute pleasure. Uh, I will talk to you very soon. Thank you again. And uh, thanks for coming on the Scrum of the Earth today. Thank you. Oh, you know, man, oh, you know, man, oh, you know, man.